0: Why is Derek laying down? This is weird. I thought about a dramatic fall, but I don't want anybody to call 911. (laughs) Sometimes we find ourselves here. Sometimes our, our life, our circumstances, our own failures and sins, and we find ourselves down. And sometimes, maybe we don't even know we're down. Maybe we don't even know we're stuck. Maybe we don't even know our situation is beyond our own power. We're down. Or sometimes we may know we've gotten ourselves into a mess, but... No way I'm going to let that be known. I'm down. We've been knocked down. We've dragged ourselves down. Whatever it is of the ups and downs and painful difficulty and hardships and trials and tribulations of life and this broken earthly journey we have on this side of, of being reunited with Jesus, being brought into, into his eternal kingdom on this side, we're, we're down. And maybe someone comes along and and reaches out and offers a hand, a hand of help, a hand of help up, help that we desperately need but don't reach our hand back to receive it. Why? I'm good. I'm pretty sure. What? I'm not laying down. What are you talking about? I'm not down. There's no problem here. No, 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 no. Them, they, out there. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't need any help. I got this. In today's passage of scripture, it appears that people are accepting of Jesus and his message. It appears that people are receiving his message with enthusiasm, and then just what seems like moments later, they are outraged and want to kill him. What's going on there? And again, we go, oh man, what's their problem? What a bunch of fools. I would never do that. This is what I, I mean, this is a reaction of mine. I would never do that. We, would, we, church family, faith church, we would never do that. Or are we going to be confronted by God through his word this morning and be reminded yet again, again, and again that we set about building kingdoms of one instead of learning to be citizens in the kingdom of Christ? Are we going to be confronted by God and his word that we have a tendency to look around us and out and about and move our finger as such as to identify problems and less of a tendency or ability to point the finger in here and to figure out what is going on with this sinful heart that is prone to wander? We We are much more prone to skepticism than faith. Everything's fine. Got it all under control. Life's just rolling right along. We don't need any help. Grab your Bibles and open with me to Luke chapter 4 as we continue our series called Upside Down Kingdom. As we discover that while we set about trying to build our little kingdom of one according to our ways, according to what kind of kingdom we would like, we find out that as we submit ourselves and become followers of Jesus and and ask for his grace and kindness to allow us to follow him in increasing obedience, we discover his kingdom is, it seems upside down to the way we would do things. So grab your Bibles, open with me to Luke chapter 4, the New Testament part of your Bible is the back third of your Bible, and the New Testament portion of your Bible begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four stories of the life of Jesus, and we are in Luke chapter 4, and, uh, and in a moment I'll start uh, reading at verse 14. While you turn there, uh, I do want to just acknowledge that uh, earlier this morning someone made me aware that it is, uh, apparently it is Super Sunday. And I think what the message was is what they wanted me to know as I, as I could be aware of it being Super Sunday. They wanted to make sure the sermon was super long. So I, I wasn't planning for that, but I mean, I can, I can do it. I, I can try. Corny dad jokes aside, I am aware of what Super Sunday is. Go Niners. And don't worry, we'll be out of here in plenty of time, even if the sermon is super long. Uh, also, uh, if I sound ridiculous or sound like I have a cold, as my friend made sure I knew about, which maybe I don't by now. Now I've been warmed up a little bit. I've been singing, I've been talking. I may or may not have been um, uh, affected by cheering for my son's basketball team's two victories last night. And, uh, As you guys know, I sometimes blow out my voice. That's a little over-exuberant, perhaps. Okay, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, Being glorified by all. This word glorified, this word praised, this is a word usually reserved for who? God. Jesus is is, is going around. He is being recognized. His amazing teaching is being listened to. He is being praised by all. We have this quick two verses at the beginning of our passage today that are a positive response to Jesus. But man, does it turn quickly. And as we are confronted by God's word this morning, we and everyone have an opportunity to consider Jesus and his message. Jesus and his message of salvation. Jesus and his message of the way to God and to true life. And we have an opportunity to consider that, whether for the first time or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, it's still for you to consider. The message of Jesus The person of Jesus, his role in our life, is it received or rejected? Verse 16, and Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So it says he went to where he had been brought up. He's in his old hometown, which would say what about the people there? familiar with him and his family, perhaps had watched him grow up. And the fact that he's now in the synagogue, who would his audience be? Who's in the synagogue? The Jewish people, the people of Israel, God's people. They're in, they're in a synagogue. They're, they're, they're seemingly religious. They, they're God-fearing. They desire to, they, they, this is their habit, to be learning about God. The people of Israel, God's people. People. Verse 17, and Jesus stands up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and he began reading from the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament scriptures, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Isaiah, in their original context, when the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, these remarks were were helping God's people look forward to the promised rescuer, the one who was to come, the one who would come and set his people free. In Isaiah, these remarks are helping God's people look forward to the promised rescuer who arrives to announce a new era of salvation, a new light in the darkness. And interesting, we'll get back to this in a minute. Interestingly, Jesus reads from Isaiah and does leave out the next part of one of the verses. He concludes with, uh, in our verse 19, he's reading from Isaiah and saying, I I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's what? Favor. Favor. Everybody say favor. Favor. Isaiah, in the original, back in Isaiah, in the Old Testament scriptures, that verse continues on and says to proclaim the year of the Lord's what? and the day of vengeance of our god the reality that isaiah pointed his god's people to is the reality of coming judgment and vengeance against sin and god needing to make things right and yet when jesus stands up and reads from the prophet isaiah verse 20 and jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It's kind of the opposite of what we do. Jesus sat down, taking the posture of a teacher. This would have been the norm for the Bible teacher. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is an incredible statement. Jesus reading from the prophet Isaiah to God's people who were to be looking forward To the promised one, the promised rescuer who would come and set his people free. And Jesus stands up and reads from the prophet Isaiah, declaring himself to be the one. Jesus is the one who is anointed by the Spirit of God for ministry. Jesus is the promised one who arrives and ushers in a new era of salvation the glorious good news that that we can be in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who, who stands up and says, this scripture has been fulfilled. In other words, Jesus will bring about everything that he proclaims. Whatever he proclaims will be. And then think about what he read and what he didn't read. While there will be a day of vengeance. In the future. That is not what Jesus was fulfilling at this time. He wanted people to know that he was there to proclaim God's, what? Favor. Now later in Luke, as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke, later we'll get to more of Jesus' teaching. And of course, much of Jesus' teaching is about how we are to follow him, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, As Christians, as Christ followers, we are those who have set ourselves aside and realized we can't do it on our own, that we need rescue, and we have turned to following Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means surrendering our life and giving all to him and learning to walk in increasing increasing obedience. To be a disciple is to, to, to set aside my own ways and to learn to live out the ways of Jesus. And so certainly as we continue in this, in this study of the Gospel of Luke, we'll get to more of Jesus' teaching and much of it will be about how we are to follow him and what lives changed, hearts changed, lives changed by Jesus look like, how our lives play out in, in what he has given us to do. Uh, But this passage, this passage is an incredible opportunity for us because as Jesus speaks in this passage, and as we are reminded of that today, as God speaks to us through his word today, this passage explains Jesus' purpose, his mission. And and we should want to know what Jesus was here for. What was Jesus sent by God to do? What was the Son of God? Set aside heaven, become human flesh, fully God and fully man, God in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus. What is Jesus' purpose and mission? And not only should we be interested in that for what Jesus was here to do, but we must be interested in that because followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And so Jesus' mission is whose mission? Ours. Ours. And so Jesus pulls out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and begins to read, and he describes his purpose, his mission back in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Everybody say good news. He is he here's an aspect of Jesus' mission to proclaim good news to the poor, of course. The word poor, poverty, can have lots of meanings. It certainly can include those with financial poverty because oftentimes the ones with financial poverty are the ones that recognize their need for something greater, for some help, realize they're down. But, but beyond just financial poor, the heart of this passage is that Jesus came to proclaim good news To those, all of us, who are morally bankrupt, spiritually poor. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who have kind of recognition of their spiritual poverty, their, their lack of morals, their lack of ability to do the right thing apart from God's gracious help. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize their spiritual need. Whether for the first time, having not ever walked with Jesus and being confronted with your need and your inability to live to his glory and throwing yourselves at his mercy and finding salvation in Jesus Christ, or whether you've walked with Jesus for years and years but still need the daily reminder, the humbling reminder of our spiritual bankruptcy apart from his grace. Jesus continued reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Everybody say liberty, liberty. or freedom. And a commentator, as I studied this week, you know, just points out that we're talking again. It's, there's a really much more of a spiritual metaphor here than, than we are actually talking about prisoners or captives. We're talking about those that are in bondage that are stuck, that are, that are enslaved, that are in spiritual captivity. What kind of things in our earthly existence might put us in those kind of situations where we are enslaved and suffering and down and stuck and unable to get up? Captives to our sin. Captive, enslaved to money's power over us. Enslaved, captive to the powers of evil. and Instead of serving the Lord, serving ourselves or or worse. Captive in sexual sin, captive in hate and bitterness toward fellow humans created in the image of God. These are things that put us in captivity, in spiritual bondage, stuck and down, in places that we can't get up on our own strength. And Jesus says that God has sent me to proclaim freedom to those captives, healing, restoration, forgiveness. And Jesus continues, And recovery of sight to the blind There's a physical miracle portrayed there that we go on to see in scriptures made true through Jesus. The physically blind made to see. The miracles of God that make the blind see again. And yet, of course, underneath that, that's an amazing miracle. Praise God for his power. And yet again, underneath that is something even more significant, even more powerful, is that those that are stuck and down and captive to darkness will be made to see the light of Christ. That those who can't get themselves up out of the mess that either they've created or has been done in harm against them, Jesus says, freedom. Jesus says, Let the blind see. I am the light, the light into darkness. I was blind, but now I see. And Jesus again continues reading the scroll of Isaiah and says, to set liberty, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So we've we've got good news to the poor the spiritually needy, those that recognize their need. We've got Jesus saying he came to give freedom to captives, those that are in bondage. Jesus saying, I've come in to make the blind see. And now he says, I'm going to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And when you study the root word there of the word oppressed, you get this kind of picture. Broken. Shattered. Crushed. Church family, Jesus has come for those who have been squashed by life and circumstances and relationship and sin. Jesus has come for those who have been squashed by life circumstances, who can see no way out, who find living itself to be oppression. And he says, I'm going to set them free. We get excited of of, uh, the idea of freedom in the United States, and we should. But the freedom of Scripture, so much more, so much greater. And our allegiance to our country is good and fine But what you need, what I need, is freedom that only Christ can bring. Freedom from sin. Freedom from darkness. Being made to see. Learning how to not live for me, but to live only for him. That kind of freedom. We have freedom. We have freedom to worship him. He sets us free so that we will Submit to him. He sets us free from all the horizontal mess and stuff that we're stuck in so that we can submit ourselves and really enslave ourselves to the author of life. That's so we can do whatever we want. So we can serve and glorify Jesus with all that we are all the time. Are we there yet? No, but his work is, he's, he's working, and He is changing you as you submit to Jesus, and He's making you into a new person, and we are increasingly obedient to Him. And we're not arrived, and we fall short, but He's at work. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's, what? Favor. And His mission is our mission. So not only should what we just have spent the last few minutes going through his message, his purpose, what what Jesus came to do, not only should that be spectacular good news to those of us who receive it, who, who know Jesus and have been changed by Jesus and made to see and set free, not only should that be spectacular news to us, but now his mission is our mission. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus followers of Jesus learn to live like Jesus and talk like Jesus and do the things that were important to Jesus and so if Jesus arrived and stood up and read from the scroll Isaiah and declared those things to be true of him and his purpose and his mission then followers of Jesus do what Jesus does how does our how do our lives church family how does your life how does my life live out the call the ways of Jesus to the poor The oppressed, the blind, the captives. How does the ministry of faith church, how does God's work in and through this body, this family of believers, how does God's work through the ministry of faith church reflect that mission, those priorities of Jesus? Verse 22, and all spoke well of Jesus, and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Again, once you see where this goes, it's almost comical. Again, we get this one little glimpse, and it's a seeming positive response to Jesus. Amazement, and pondering his teaching, and considering who is this guy saying he is? Verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at at Jesus' gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and yet, despite their amazement, they are skeptical. They cannot get their minds around what they know about Jesus' history. They, They can't get their minds around this. We know this guy. We saw him running around here. He's no different than us. They can't get their minds around what they know They've seen in Jesus' hometown, where He came from, what He's like. They can't get their head around that and, and what, who He's claiming to be. And so verse 22 continues, and it says, "They said, "Isn't this Joseph's kid?" He's saying some big stuff here. He just pulled out Isaiah and then said, "It's fulfilled. Isn't this Joseph's kid?" Their admiration quickly degenerates into, one of the commentators said, their admiration degenerates into cynicism. Why? Why are they suddenly cynical? Why are they suddenly skeptical to Jesus' life and message and teaching? You know what's sad? They don't see themselves in his examples. Spiritually poor, not me, somebody else. Captive to sin. I'm not going to acknowledge that. They say, this is Joseph's kid. I mean, I can't go there. They don't see themselves in Jesus' example, and so they don't see themselves as having spiritual need. These are churchgoers. These are religious people. These are God's chosen people, Israel, in a synagogue And yet, they don't relate to any of who Jesus came to rescue. They don't don't put themselves in the path of his ministry. They don't see themselves as needing him. Because all these things he's describing, that's, that's other people. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. I'm not on the ground. What are you talking about? Life's just fine, Joseph's kid. Leave me alone. Verse 23. And Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What you have heard, what you have heard you did, uh, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, he's saying, when you heard about me doing miracles, give us some more. He's saying the people are just going to be like, okay, well, you know, prove it, Jesus. You said this scripture is fulfilled. We just think you're Joseph's kid, so prove it. Do something cool. Do another miracle. Jesus says, They're just going to ask him to do that in his hometown as well. And then verse 24 says, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So why the skepticism? Why is Jesus not acceptable in the place where he is from? Why are the people of Nazareth, the people in the synagogue, put off by his message? Paul David Tripp writes, we all work to convince ourselves that we are better off than we are. I know if we're willing to think about it or acknowledge it or admit it or catch ourselves thinking sometimes, I think he's right, myself included. We all work to convince ourselves that we're better off than we are. We all want to believe that we're not that sinful after all. We might be down there, but we're trying to convince ourselves we're good. Our sinful nature plays out in a self-righteous attitude. We convince ourselves that we're okay when we're not okay. We're on the ground, we're down, we don't even realize it, and we definitely won't take help. And so as the passage continues, Jesus confronts our spiritual self-sufficiency and pride. He's saying... He's helping people to see that we think we're self-sufficient, we've got it under control, that we can take care of ourselves, that we can be good enough, that that our self-sufficiency is what we want people around us to see. We want to give off this perception of being spiritually okay. And really, that's just pride and hiding and not acknowledging our need. Verse 25, so Jesus gives a couple examples. Referring to true events recorded in the Old Testament, verse 25. But in truth, Jesus says, I tell you, and he's talking about something that takes place that you can read elsewhere if you'd like later in 1 Kings 17. So if you want to just make a quick note, 1 Kings 17, you can go and you can hear the whole, uh, see the whole episode there. But in truth, Jesus says, I tell you that there were many widows in Israel among God's people in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah, God's prophet, was sent to none of them. What? There were all these widows that needed care among God's people, Israel. And Elijah was sent to none of them, and it goes on to say, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, outside Israel, outside God's people, to a woman who was a widow and benefited from God's power in her life. Verse 27, and Jesus says, referring to the Old Testament Scripture, 2 Kings 5, there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, from outside of God's people. Now, what's the difference? Jesus' point here in bringing up these true Uh, stories from the Old Testament is saying that when people reject God's prophets, when God sends messages to them through God's prophets and people reject them, God sends the prophet elsewhere, even outside of Israel. If God's people aren't going to listen, if God's people have no need, if God's people don't receive God's message and are ready for him to work in their life and see his power in their life and trust that he can do what he came to do, then he'll go elsewhere. God goes to the humble who recognize their need and are open to God's work in their lives. The people in Nazareth here, in the synagogue, in our passage today, were good, respectable, synagogue-attending. I got this from a commentator, one of, one of, the, pers- uh, one of the books I studied this week. They were, these, these people were good, respectable, synagogue-attending, family-oriented, solid citizens in Nazareth. And so this comparison with the Gentile woman in Elijah's day was a massive insult. Jesus telling these stories in the synagogue that day was kind of like saying, hey, these these non-Jewish people, these people outside of God's people were more wise than you, more willing than you, more open-hearted than you, more aware of their need than you. And they're offended now. The people in the synagogue are getting their feelings hurt because of Jesus' message. And so verse 28 comes. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove Jesus out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But is our powerful, sovereign God, creator of the universe, done with Jesus' time on earth yet? No, and so I think verse 30 is just awesome. But passing through their midst, uh, Jesus went away. Church family, the goal is not to be good, respectable, synagogue-attending, family-oriented, solid citizens. What is important... to be the ones who are looking to God, acknowledging need, searching heart to determine where healing and forgiveness and transformation is needed. Church family, the goal isn't to be the good, respectable, synagogue-attending, family-oriented, solid citizens of Dallas. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus find freedom so that they can submit themselves to Jesus and be changed by Him. What is so important is to give our lives and open our hearts and to receive God's message of grace through Jesus instead of rejecting it. So, life might have you down, circumstances might have you down, your own sin might have you down. We might convince ourselves that we're okay, but we're not. And God offers the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God offers His presence and His transforming work to make you into a new person. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, help us not to fool ourselves not to try to convince ourselves that we're okay when we really desperately need you. God, this does not come natural. We need you to teach us to be humble, to set ourselves aside, to look to others, to lift our eyes to you, the God of the universe and the son that you sent, Jesus, into the world to live and die and be raised again. God, teach us to humble ourselves, to quit building our kingdoms of one, to quit making life all about ourselves. This doesn't come natural, God, but teach us to reflect inwardly instead of pointing outwardly. Father, teach us to reflect on our hearts and our need for you and submit ourselves to you. God, teach us to be teachable and ready to be molded and shaped and changed. Father, teach us to be more self-aware instead of selfish and self-focused and self-righteous and rejecting you as a result, as not reaching for the hand that is there to help as a result. God, show us that we are needy, not self-sufficient show us that we are in need of transformation that that we don't have it all together and father thank you that you are a god who through jesus proclaimed the year of god's favor that you are a god of grace that you are a god of mercy and that we know that in no greater way than what you showed us at the cross. We thank you that you are a God who loves and comes near to us and who demonstrated your great love in that Jesus came and was willing to die so that we might live. Father, we thank you for the cross. We repent. God, give us time with you right now or later today or whenever it is that your spirit prompts us to confess our sins and to repent, to turn away from our our selfishness, to turn away from our lives of rebellion against you. God, teach us and call us to repentance that we might turn from that and turn to Jesus. The one who has good news for the poor sets the captives free and who makes the blind to see. Thank you, Father, for your love for us through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.